You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, welcome back to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Excited for this guest. Because we're talking about a topic that um, you know, every once in a while, and I want to come clean. I almost feel like I got to come clean. I don't know everything about everything. I hope that's obvious by now. Um, maybe not too obvious. I hope it's not too obvious. Uh, we're talking with Matt Gifford. He is the co-founder of a company called Occupier. Now, Occupier is taking on an area, lease management, lease management software. And, and they've got a lot of different feature sets to this. Um, some of the primary products under the, the, the umbrella of their platform, lease abstraction services, admin services, lease accounting, and then some transaction management software for deals. And one of the things that I really like about this though, is that it's not just built for one user. So brokers, accountants, and real estate teams all get value. There's some network effects into when this gets incorporated into a tenant's business. So think of a real estate director or director of real estate for a retail outlet that has 30 locations across the country. And they need to know what are their exit you know, options? Uh, what, what is the lease increase schedule? You know, the rate increase schedule looking like across all their different locations? What are the, you know, what can they be doing? At the same time, they need to be under compliance for their how they're maintaining lease accounting and they also want to make sure that the the broker team knows what what they're looking for and the types of leases maybe they should be pursuing occupier brings all this to those teams and you know they're not the first in the industry to do this i was corrected on air about this by the way but they are the first to bring it in the way that they are doing it and I really like what Matt said. He said, not, we're not really defining, creating a category. We're just building the product that category really desires or deserves. Anyway, this one's really going to nerd out in a way I don't think we've done on the show before. But I really appreciate Matt's approach. Also, his background really checks all the boxes as to why he's the right founder for a company like this. Let's jump in and hear what he has to say. Renting a home shouldn't be complicated or frustrating. That's why Pure Property Management is on a mission to make renting a home a simple and satisfying experience for all. By banding together and building together, Pure's team of experienced industry professionals and seasoned technology innovators provide a high-tech, high-touch, and hyper-local property management service to residents and investors nationwide. To learn more, visit purepm.co. Matt, uh, we've already started, but please introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Matt Jafoon. I'm one of the co-founders of Occupier. We're a lease management software company. Uh, we have uh, been around for about four years, and we've created a platform that allows uh, 
occupiers, tenants of commercial office space, retail space, industrial space, any type of space that uh, is governed under a lease uh, to manage the entire process of leasing. And that really means from when I have a decision to make on locating a new space, renewing my lease, uh, whatever it might be that the business dictates that my uh, you know, real estate team needs to work on, we've created a software platform that allows that ha- uh, the, the collaboration to happen from the uh, inception of a real estate transaction all the way through the uh, compliance with uh, lease accounting standards. So essentially, we've, we started off wanting to be a deal management platform for corporate tenants and tenant rep brokers. And as soon as we realized that, okay, like once the deal ends, it becomes a lease, we've created lease administration software, which allows a company to manage all of their obligations across their entire portfolio. And then because the lease accounting standards have shifted in the last couple of years, and we can talk a little bit more about that later, uh, we've created software that allows the finance team to basically automate all of the compliance standards they need to be in accordance with the new lease accounting standards. So essentially, anything that touches a lease within a business, we can handle in an intuitive, collaborative software platform. All right. I, I, you know, a lot of times it's like, I got it. But we're going to have to... <laughs> We're going to take these baby steps here. We can I, unpack know, I'm, that. I'm a little <laughs> yeah. slow. To, to get started, though, and this is, I think, important. Why in the world did you pick this problem to solve for? What, what, was your, what is your background that led to this? I walked out into the woods and I saw a light and it was like, you need to do this. <laughs> but seriously. Are there woods in Boston even to walk out into? There, yeah, there's, pl- there's plenty. Oh, okay. There's plenty. All right, there we go. Yeah. All right. No, so um, my background is in commercial real estate. I've spent, uh, I spent about 10 years working at JLL, which is obviously one of the largest commercial real estate services companies on, on the planet. Um, my job or jobs while I was there was to represent companies uh, with uh, advising them on their real estate transactions. So in doing that job, it was very apparent to me that, A, the industry is super antiquated because I was doing everything manually. Uh, And B, um, real estate is the second largest expense of pretty much every business, aside from their people. And the fact that it is handled in such a disparate, antiquated, fragmented way was just like kind of absurd to me. Um, But... Rewinding the clock back to 2014, I actually went and joined VTS, which I'm repping their swag right now. And um, they, they, they had uh, developed a platform that pretty much did the same thing, but for landlords and land, landlord agents, which was, well, we're leasing buildings. Why is everything happening in spreadsheets and email? There should be a command center for leasing space. And I just thought that was such an obvious idea. So I quit my real estate job. I was interested in tech. And Andrew Flint, who's my co-founder, recruited me to come in and work at VTS. So it was while I was working at VTS for about five years that you know we scaled that company and it became the industry standard for leasing and asset management software on the, on the ownership side, that it was apparent to me that there could be an analog type of platform for occupiers, the tenants. Um, because tenants have 
if as much, if not more at stake in their real estate decisions than a landlord does. So landlord obviously has to lease its space, make money on uh, rent, you know, reduce its expenses and then like improve the value of the asset. Um, but, but if you're a tenant, you're actually using real estate to like operate your company to achieve its business goals. And if they, if they're using nothing but spreadsheets and emails, like how do you even know how well you're doing in all of that? So our original premise was why can't there be a software platform where a director of real estate in a company, whether you're an office occupier or like a retail company or a food and beverage company that's expanding, be able to log in and understand, here's all my deals. Here's how my tenant rep brokerage team is selecting sites, advising me on rent. And then all of the documentation collaboration associated with that should be happening in one place. So to answer your question in a short way, <laughs> the reason I landed on this problem was because I lived it. And, and then I saw how it started to innovate, like in the prop tech space. And, you know, prop tech started booming. You know, I joined BTS in 2014. That was kind of like right when we were coming up the curve on innovation in the real estate space. And now that's like eight, nine years ago. And here we are with probably thousands of propped up companies that exist trying to solve, you know, myriad problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I was sharing with you a little bit before the show, like the original premise of this podcast, which I, I got started on in 2018. And I thought... Well, yeah, in 2018. And I thought, oh, I hope I'm not too late. I hope I'm not too late for, for getting into prop tech because I couldn't believe the trajectory. And I, it's kind of amazing to now, even now, I'm like, oh man, uh, that I might've been early. Also, we are all early right now. There is just so much yet to, to be done in prop tech to improve how we do real estate. And this is a good example of that, which the, the name now occupier makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, it seems it's a, a duh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like it. it. It makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about the, um, the types of customers that are using occupier. Cause you, it's definitely, you've alluded to some of the, the, the traits, right? But like you can either say the specific customer, or if you want to just say like, the, this is the types of customers that would get the most out of a lease management system. Sure. Um, I mean, the, the broadest uh, way to categorize it is that any company that has a multi-lease portfolio should be using our software. Um, but it's probably when a company crosses the threshold of seven to 10 leases that it be, starts to become really unwieldy. And then there's obviously categories or industry types that have, uh, you know, different ways of managing their real estate or making real estate decisions uh that our software is able to support so we have uh about a 50 50 split between office type occupiers and retail type occupiers so some of the customers that we would profile are you know high growth tech companies that have 15 to like 100 locations and they have a director of real estate that has a real estate team that is responsible for making sure that the workplace executes on like the business goals and the employee, you know, wellness and all that stuff. So they're leasing space, they have WeWorks, they have real leases, and there's a lot of data in those leases that they need to manage. 
So that that is one profile of customer. But we also service um, the, uh, the the retail customer, and that is any anyone that is like a franchise operator. So I don't know, name name a franchise: McDonald's, Five Guys. You know they they are franchise businesses. Yeah. Dutch Brothers Coffee, exactly. Yeah, they would be a great customer. They're not yet, but Dutch Brothers, shout out, hit our website up. Um, they, you know, they 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 are a business that is trying to expand rapidly, create a footprint. They own a territory. They want to make money off selling coffee, but really, at the end of the day, they need to make good real estate decisions that support the growth of the business. And if they are not tracking that stuff properly, they could run into problems. Um, so a food and beverage company like that, or just like a retailer, like Bonobos is a company, a uh, customer, for example. And, you know, they have X amount of stores, COVID hits. They have no idea from state to state how they need to make decisions to mitigate risk, reduce expenses. They can log into Occupier and they can understand, oh, here's all my leases with termination options. Here's where I have a break clause. Here's where my rent escalations live. So now I can start to triage um, opportunities in my portfolio that if I were just like, you know, putting my PDF leases in a file folder, I would really have no idea how to action on that stuff. So it's pretty much any business that is occupying commercial real estate that could benefit from our software. And then like you add the kind of cherry on top of lease accounting compliance, which is now a must. So we can talk about that in detail if you'd like, but essentially over the last decade or so, the governing bodies of uh, accounting standards have been debating how to uh, force companies to better uh, provide visibility into their real estate obligations. And essentially, it changed from a rule where uh, real estate was considered an operating expense of the business uh, to a rule where real estate expenses were now considered a liability on your balance sheet. And because of that, you now have to, have to account for that in a very strict standard. So ASC 842 and IFRS 16 on the international front have been rolled out for both publicly traded and private companies for uh, recognizing leases as a liability on your balance sheet. And you have to basically follow a strict standard in order to do that. It's like a 700 page document. You ask somebody about it, their eyes roll, they fall asleep. But what if there was software that just took the data out of your leases and automated all your compliance reports for that? So we built that out of the uh, the lease management software. Do accountants love you? Yeah, they do. If you if you track the downloads of all of our uh, content on our website, it's it's very <laughs> it's very heavy accountant focused for sure. I dug into the the blog a little bit and I was like, okay, so this is getting into a territory I've never heard of, but. One of two things is either happening. You guys are a whole bunch of nerds, which we all are in real estate, or you, there's like a significant pain point here to be focusing on this compliance topic, which is, you know, by and large, like it's a scary word for everyone because it usually means like we have to hire a lawyer. There's a compliance issue. I've got to go hire a lawyer and I don't know what it's going to take and I don't know how long it's going to take. And, but I'm also kind of feeling like I'm forced. I have no option now to just absorb this. I'm sure Occupy doesn't entirely remove the need for a lawyer at any stage, but is is that the alternative here? The alternative is just calling a, a lease lawyer or, or, or 
contract lawyer to, to review? Yeah, yeah, it's really more around the audit. So when if I'm a publicly traded company, I'm I'm really scrutinized about how I'm spending my money and and using my revenue and the whole balance sheet, expense statement, et cetera. So, you know, you're going to have to pass an audit in order for the stock price of your company to justify what you've been doing over the last quarter, right? So you're going to hire a public audit firm. They're going to come in, they're going to look at all your books. You're going to understand how you're accounting for everything. And if they find that you've done it improperly or you've ignored things or you've missed things, then you're subject to fines, you're subject to further audit expenses, legal fees, anything, right? So, you know, there's Google it. There's probably case studies where companies have failed their audits because they have not been in compliance with lease accounting standards. So it's not so much like a legal exposure, although I'm sure there is a legal component to it, but it's more around like, how do we properly uh, treat our finances so that we can pass an audit? So our software allows a company to be in strict compliance with the code so that when their auditor comes in and says, okay, we're going to go to leases, like how are we doing on the real estate compliance? They can log into our software. They can see exactly how everything was calculated. They can see all the reports generated and they can say, yep, it's in compliance with the code. And boom, we move on to the next quarter, business as usual. Whereas if you didn't do that, you would be probably scrambling at the end of your fiscal period to figure out, okay, like what do we need to be in compliance with? And then you would go to the junior accountant on staff and say, Hey, go figure out the real estate accounting. And that person would build a spreadsheet, which may or may not be accurate. And if there's 50 leases, they have to do that 50 times and it takes them a whole week and there's risk. So if you're SOC compliant, which we are, you can say, okay, we know the software actually is accurate. We've used it. It made my life easier. It's saved me a ton of hours. And the audit, auditor comes in and says, yep, cool. Yeah. And, and the, the one thing here, um, it, I mean, there's, just, there's so many so many directions here I want to take this. But it, it, is, it is obvious to me in, in so far that there are, um, no matter what we do here in real estate, the trend is moving more and more in the direction of there's going to be continued added layers of legislation. We see this in residential. Uh, we see this in how we finance deals. Um, and now this is an area you're talking about the the accounting side. Has anyone done anything like this for tenants previously? Because everything I hear of is always geared towards the owners and the operators, not necessarily the tenants. And if not the tenants like that, What's it, what is it like creating a product that maybe no one has done before you? Because as a follow-up here, like sometimes that almost puts you in an area of like creating the category. And that can be a, a challenge to the business in of itself in reinventing how people do something like this. Yeah. I mean, just to clarify, this category has been around for a while. Um, the... The early movers in this category recognized that the standard was going to change probably like 10 years before it did. So they prepped for it, built up a pipeline of customers, 
mainly publicly traded companies because it was going to happen in the public market before it did private. And, and so there were companies that were created to do that one specific thing. Um, just to touch on what you said about like legislation, it's, it's not so much a legislation, it's more like standards and accounting standards, which are interpretable with real estate development and investing. Yeah. There are rules that are literally like adjudicated in Congress that tell you, this is what you can and cannot do. We're not necessarily subject to that, but at the same time, there's generally accounting, uh, generally acceptable accounting practices that these standards follow. So I don't know, I would say maybe 10 years ago, plus the companies started to recognize that there was a debate within the accounting community that real estate standards accounting might not be as accurate as it should. It took a while for it to actually go into effect. But there were companies that were early first movers who said, oh, this is going to change. Let's build software around this. And they were kind of like paved the path for companies like us. But at the same time, that happened 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, you build a company that is very solely focused on that one problem. And then that's all you do. So the, the, I wouldn't say we're creating a category, but we are making the category what it should be. So where our perspective is that, yeah, lease accounting is important and that is going to drive a lot of software buying because companies don't want to deal with it in Excel, but it's only touching one part of how companies need to think about the real estate. They should be thinking about how they manage it properly, how they uh, track capacity, how they track spend, how their people are operating in the space. And, and then not to mention how they actually make the real estate decisions to begin with. How do they evaluate sites? How do they negotiate with landlords? How do they track their pipeline of deals if they have a ton of them going on? In our thesis, and this is why we think we're unique, is that all of those stakeholders should be working off the same set of information. Whereas in previous worlds, my finance team's got a lease accounting software that the real estate team doesn't even know about. The real estate team has a lease administration software that the brokers don't even know about. The brokers operate on handshakes and spreadsheets. So it's like, wait a minute. If the real estate decision is being made here and it turns into a portfolio obligation here and ends up on the balance sheet here, why isn't everybody just working in the same system? So that's how we've approached our market. And and it's not so much we've created a new market. It's just that we've seen a disparate way of doing business in this world and figured out that, look, people, people want to do it all in one place. It's just the same, it's the same concept of like a sales force for sales or a workday for HR or Slack, for example. Like everybody that is a stakeholder in that workflow should be just like going into one place and doing their work. Gotcha. You identified three different roles that, um, you know, people may use occupier in the, the accountants, the brokers, the real estate teams. How does that, um, how does that change your, your sales and marketing strategy? Now it sounds to me here that at least one of the three is probably the buyer, but you have three, you know, user types, if you will, to get bought in, to believe in and see the vision of using something like this. So maybe you can shed some light on some of the challenges in 
taking a product that serves three roles to market, uh, but that may have a buyer that is maybe one of those three, or maybe someone who's not even one of those three roles to begin with? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and that's kind of just one of those problems of growing a company that you got to figure out. And I think that like, um, not necessarily to focus too much on the personas, but focus on how you build your team around that and you message how we're going to get after the market. Um, so it, 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 it is a through line through the entire company, right? From marketing, from sales to product to engineering, like everybody needs to understand what the user personas are for your product. And from a product perspective, how do you prioritize which ones you should build stuff for? and what problems are worthy of solving. And then from there, um, your, your sales and marketing team have to be really well trained and understand that, okay, I'm talking to a broker right now, these are the value drivers. And when I talk to this broker, I think the beautiful thing about our platform is that, yeah, they can get value out of using it themselves, but there's also value to be derived for their client. So we look at it as a network effect. Um, there's a lot of surface area in the, in the product because you're, you're right. It touches brokers, it touches real estate people, it touches CFOs, it touches everybody. But that goes back to the crux of why we built the business because they should all be working on the same data source. Uh, but when you go to market, you have to message, you have to create content, you have to be smart about who you're talking to. Um, but the beautiful thing about it is that when I talk to a broker, they say, this is the problem I'm trying to solve for my tenant. Okay, cool. So you could get value out of the platform and also your tenant can. And then you talk to the tenant and they're like, well, yeah, this is all great. We should talk to the finance team as well because they're going to get value out of this. So it's kind of like this flywheel effect of, an, of a network where no matter which way you get in, there's value to kind of be um, derived by the client. Um, but you obviously have to build your sales and marketing engine to, to focus on, okay, we're going to target this, but we're going to be nimble enough to expand it here or there. Yeah. It, it sounds very sticky. Uh, once it, once it lands, once the, the customer is getting value out of it and especially across teams, um, it sounds like quite a sticky product that can really become embedded into a business and, uh, continue to succeed for them. I, I am curious, um, you know, if, some of the, the 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 feedback that you're getting from your customers, right? So I'm sure you're working directly and talking to some of the accounting teams and the brokers. What are some of the direct reasons you're hearing back that hey, we went with Occupier because of, and you know what they've said it's done for them? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, what I described earlier that there were some early movers in the lease accounting space. There's some early movers in the lease administration space as well. And there's large companies like the JLLs and CBREs of the world that offer lease administration services and have their own platforms, et cetera. Um, where, where we differentiate is, is, is two things. The, the size of the market is massive. So there are companies that have never heard of any of those software companies. They're just managing the real estate portfolio in like a Google Sheet. So it's easy to show them a very slick 
modern software platform that 10 X's that teams like production at a, at a, at a cost that is like, this is a no brainer, right? If we missed a renewal option, it would cost us half a million bucks, but you're telling me I could buy your software for $10,000 and it's going to mitigate all that risk. Hmm. Very easy decision to make. Um, so there's the value of like getting from analog to digital, which is a huge advantage of ours, but there's also the fact that most of our competitors are 20 plus years old and their software looks like that. So we have an advantage where if you were to buy a, uh, a MacBook Air, when you lift the screen up, the thing turns on and it just, you know how to use it, right? So we, we've, we've built our software to be able to, we demo it to a customer. They're like, immediately like, oh yeah, this, this makes a ton of sense. This is how I want to work. This is all right here. It's very elegantly designed and it gets me what I need. It gets me my reports. It gets me my search function. I can collaborate. I can add users. I can share. I can, I can comment. I can share things with people. So it's almost like this new paradigm in the real estate tech space on the tenant side where they've been starving for this like modern platform to allow all of these stakeholders to do it. And I think that is the special sauce of Occupier is the CFO, the financial accountants, the real estate people, the facilities people, the brokers, the lawyers, the architects can all log in and immediately understand what is going on in the platform rather than, oh, we're being charged on a uh, per seat basis. We're going to have to upcharge you for that. And that person's not going to have the permissions that they need. It, so we've built it very open and able to uh, be understood by any stakeholder that needs it. So um, it, on top of that, and I'll give a shout out to our customer success team, like our, we, we, we just make sure that we control the conversations with our customers as much as we can and give them the service they, they need. Um, the way that the lease administration industry has grown over time is that you've got these monolith software platforms that get deployed in a company and then you have to hire like a consultant like to to operate it for you and then you know you've got this third party that's managing all of your leases in your system whereas we abstract your leases you get an account manager and a customer success manager that basically is like your go-to person so we're basically bringing like a modern SaaS framework into this space that like hadn't existed before. And uh, your background itself, you kind of like tick the boxes. Usually you get like one, right? You had the experience in and working in the real estate industry in a very in-depth way. And then you got to go enjoy a startup and not just any startup, a startup that clearly has been doing a lot of the right things from the start. VTS, you know, obviously is a standout, especially in, in commercial prop tech, and get several years inside the beast of running a tech company to then, you know, start Occupier. But you have to build a team around that. Do you look for real estate people? Do you look for tech people? Or do they also have to have the one in very few chances of you know, having both tech and real estate background? That's a really good question. Um, 
you know, we don't we don't necessarily index for a real estate experience at all. Um, there are certain functions in our business where domain expertise is valued. So, for example, like we have an awesome product manager in our lease accounting product, and you know she she's an accountant; she understands it. Um, uh, our VP of Finance is a lease accounting expert, so she understands everything from that perspective. We have two solutions consultants that we just hired who are CPAs that deployed lease accounting software. So that is a very technical aspect where it's like your expertise will allow you to interface with a customer and understand like the product to a point where, okay, we know what it needs to do. Um, but from a sales perspective, yeah, you know, you could on the surface, it's like, well, you just, you know, hire a bunch of ex brokers and they're going to be able to sell this thing, you know, like, uh, you know, candy. But they know the questions to ask, which is just push on the pain, push on the pain, push on the pain. There is a better way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, I guess what I'm saying is that the pain isn't so much real estate related it's like what are these people what are the problems that these people are trying to solve and how can our application solve those for them and add more value and that isn't something that you need to understand how a percentage rent structure works in the lease for a retailer you got to learn that up the learning curve but you don't necessarily need to do that like what we want to hire are a awesome people smart people people that can work together in a team and understand that we're all working uh, towards the same mission. Um, if they have real estate expertise and they check all those other boxes, then it's like, awesome. That's even like better. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because if you were to ask me that question and I was selling software into, I don't know, the restaurant industry or the insurance industry, you'd probably get the same answer. I mean, there's going to be people that are just great salespeople. There's going to be people that are just great engineers. And they can figure out problems. Um, so you try to find those types of people rather than, oh, well, this guy has got 15 years of brokerage experience, so we should hire him because he can sell to brokers. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, you know, I only entered the insurance industry, if you will, you know, a few months ago. Um, and at the risk of exposing myself, shocker, I don't really know a ton <laughs> or everything about insurance. You already but got I, hired, so you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the thing is, the thing is that uh, here's what I know about insurance, especially for our categories. I, I am the customer that we're selling insurance to. So I already know what I have to get and the challenges and things I don't know. So I'm like, well, I, if I'm the average customer, I've, I've got some baseline there. But then also I, I hire, you know, uh, when, when you need that domain expertise, like, you know, our content marketing program kind of needs someone who can write about insurance in a very intelligent way, also geared towards yeah, our customers. That is a really good point. That is like a really a, good point. Kind like, of a hard yeah. thing to get. I got lucky. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say who it is because I'm not giving away, but they, you, Matt, you're not going to believe this. By the way, this is part of my personal crusade of getting prop tech founders on Twitter. I just, I, I, this is the example here. I saw someone complaining about their insurance rates. Okay, I'm doing like Twitter searches, just finding people and just hit and just one by one, let's make a sale. I can't sell anything, but I can say, hey, check out Obi, right? I said that to a guy. Turns out he's a content writer, has an agency, has worked with multiple mutual contacts, 
and was available. And we had a good conversation. We hit it off. And I'm like, this is now my, this is my content agency. I just found my content agency who is a customer, was in our vein. So uh, digress here, but all PropTech founders, please get on Twitter and talk to your customers. There's just so much value there. Um, let's go ahead and shift here. I'm going to talk about ideas um, because, I mean, you can't, you knew what was broken. You knew where the, the pain points were and how to build a better system than what was already on the market. What were some of the ideas or maybe one or two experiments that you had that turned out to be wrong or didn't go the way that you'd hoped? Uh, well, we were going to build this thing called the Occupod, which was a pod that you go into and it just solves all your real estate problems. But we just felt like that was a little bit too futuristic. So we scrapped that idea and we built deal management software. <laughs> um, uh, but seriously, though, I think um, the lease accounting thing was something that we were forced into. And our original premise was like, let's just focus on real estate decisions because there's real estate decision makers that are using brokerage services to execute all of those decisions. And that's going to be our focus. And as I kind of laid out earlier, we eventually kind of moved up to the chain and move up the chain to lease administration. And then lease accounting kind of just was forced on us. So this is a funny story, but our now VP of finance, uh, Lauren Barr, who is also one of our resident lease accounting experts, if not our foremost lease accounting expert, she was actually working at a company that we were selling our software to. And we had a contract out for execution for deal management and lease administration, but we hadn't built the lease accounting software yet. And she had recently been hired into this company and was put into the evaluation right when we were about to sign a contract with them. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If they can't do the lease accounting compliance, we're not buying this. So we lost the deal. And um, it sucked. And that was kind of like the wake up call for us. We're like, okay, if we're going to go after this market, and this is such a big deal for everybody, we need to focus on this. And we can do it better than people have done it before. We know we can. So we started building lease accounting software and fast forward less than a year, we reached back out to Lauren. She had left uh, her, that company and we said, Hey, why don't you come work for occupier? And now she works for us. So the person that like killed a deal and put, put us into the lease accounting market is now like our prime person. No way. That's you know, amazing. Selling the lease. Yeah. So it was one of these things where like we always knew that it was like looming in the background and we would hear rumblings of it during the sales process, but our software would win the day and like allow customers to adopt. But, you know, the market is just like so much bigger because of the lease account and compliance thing. Because Did you ever win that deal have. back? Did you well, get that account? Okay. We, we will get that account. We're yeah, going to get is. that account. Good. Um, but anyways, that, I mean, your answer was like, what do we do that we screwed up on or like ideas that we had? That was an idea that we didn't have that we landed on because we needed to. That's an awesome story though. I mean, and then, then you actually got like clearly an employee who knew the value of that feature set 
to say, hey, no, we can't move forward on this deal without that piece. And now well, she also knew that like whatever else she was using sucked. And like she was forced to buy a solution that she didn't really like, you know, and it didn't do everything that she wanted it to do or that the company needed. And then when she, when we re-engaged with her, she was like, whoa, like you guys are onto something here. Like, I love, like, this makes so much sense. Let's do it. You you mentioned earlier uh, about how big the market is here. And, um, you know, it, it, it's one of these areas where in my head, I'm just like, oh, I wonder this really could be a lot of companies. Initially, to me, it sounds super niche that you're going to have a very small number of customers or clients and they're all going to be, you know, almost spoken for. And maybe you've got like a third of the market untapped. As we've been ch- chatting here, it seems more and more that this is a, a very large market. How do you summarize the true addressable market here in terms of potential customers and or dollar value? Uh, billions. Um, but the size of the market is really based on um, the number of leases out there, which is a very opaque data set. You can't, it's impossible to figure out how many commercial leases are there on the planet. It's not public information. Some, some publicly traded companies in their, you know, their 10Ks will list every lease that they have. But the vast majority of companies on the planet are private companies, and some of them are huge. So it's really impossible to figure out how many leases are out there, how much are people paying for those leases, what are they valued at, et cetera. But if you think about like the total addressable market for companies, um, I mean, this is like a classic like fundraising question. Uh, you know, how do you how do you determine who's going to actually buy the software, and you know, how big is that market? Uh, globally, there's, you know, like 4 million private companies, but are they all going to buy lease accounting software? No. So you focus in on companies that have a certain headcount size that, which would be an indicator of how many offices they might have. So you, you, you know, you get to that data set and then you say, okay, um, how many of those companies are, need to comply with the new lease accounting standard? And the answer is all of them. And that means that they're either going to do it in-house or they're going to rely on a CPA firm or accounting firm to do it for them. And are they going to do it with spreadsheets? The vast majority is yes, which is that means we have an opportunity to sell them a better product, do it in software. That means we can sell it directly to the tenants themselves, or we can also sell it to their accountants. Um, so that is like the driving kind of like force around our total addressable market. But because we all also offer lease administration software, transaction management software, and the broker product, it expands our market even larger. And once you tap into that network effect of the broker, who are the strategic technology advisors of this company, then all of a sudden you're just like, you're circling this market and you've got them, you're like, you've got them in a siege. And it's like, okay, we know every one of your personas and we know that like eventually it's going to result in this outcome. Um, so that's a long way of saying is the market is really large and it's any company that has to comply with this lease accounting standard. And at scale, it becomes huge because you got any, any company on earth that has more than five leases is all of a sudden going to have to spend time doing this. So it's a big market. Uh, I love it. I'm sure your investors uh, also 
love when they get the, the full vision and hear that because that means there's a lot of room and open field in front of you guys. Um, certainly if the, the standard PAR is either uh, not fun tools or spreadsheets. Uh, let's move into the bottom of the show here. For the future is the next segment. This is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Matt, you ready to play? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Question number one, what does Occupier look like one year from now? Uh, one year from now, um, we have bigger customers. We are integrated with industry standard data sources and we have become the leader in our market that all our incumbents are afraid of. Awesome. Question number two, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie because it's going to just be hard. Will office leasing activity increase or decrease over the next few years? Why? It's going to increase. Um, well, we have a looming recession, which hopefully doesn't happen. Uh, we have um, work from home, hybrid work happening. All of those things are going to result in more decisions that need to be made by companies with how they react to how their employees want to work. And because uh, employees are now empowered with the ability to work from home, a coffee shop, their phone, their car, anywhere, there are going to be, there's going to be a shift from the central business district headquarters where work gets done to, all right, you, you, you do your best work here. All right, we're going to get you an office there. So we've already seen this in our system and in, in the data over the last two years is office occupiers in our system have increased their footprints by lease count by like something like 40%. So where what we're seeing is that office occupiers are now spreading out rather than saying, okay, we're going to be in Boston and then we're going to have an office in Austin and Seattle. They're saying, all right, cool. Like we're going to sign a, a WeWork lease in Cleveland. We're going to sign an industrious lease in St. Louis, et cetera. So it's going to create actually more leasing activity on the lease by lease basis. I can't really say from an absorption perspective, how much square footage is going to be leased. Um, but, but I think it's going to create more leasing activity. All right. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, an industry trend that I think will continue that I wish would go away. Um, I think, it, I think it's just like the status quo of how brokers advise tenants on the market. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, your typical tenant rep broker just relies on pulling a co-star survey and telling their tenant what's available. Um, I think there is going to be a shift into the tenant driving the demand of space rather than the inventory driving the the outcome of the deal um i just i think that with the barriers being broken down in terms of like data being available uh that 
tenants will have a much more informed point of view when they go into the market than just saying, hey, broker, what's available in downtown Boston? Yeah. Number four for for the future, what's one in, or excuse me, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Dramatically fade away or advance. Change uh, or fade away. Change or fade away. Um, okay. It was similar to the last uh, response I gave. I think that um, the, the not to focus on brokers too much, but I think brokers are going to be less. Um, looked at as deal makers and more as like strategic advisors uh, because when companies start to use tools like occupier and other data sources that can allow them to uh, predict or get better about their real estate decisions then the ownership of market information from the broker is going to become less valuable and they're going to be forced to be strategic advisors for these companies. And what I mean by strategic advisors is they're going to be much more focused on negotiating terms. How does the result of this lease align with your business goals? And what are the short and like medium and like long-term goals that you have after we, after we sign this lease? Because the traditional way of a broker working is like, I just got to get this tenant in space, make a commission and move on to the next one. Whereas it's much more fluid now. It's like, I, we just had a guest on our podcast yesterday that hasn't been released yet. And, you know, he, he's- been, Shout out that podcast, by the way. Shout out, shout out Fully, uh, Fully Occupied Show. Check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, <laughs> and- uh, uh, I'll spoil it, but Michael Spees, who is like a long-term Tishman Spire executive, uh, who now runs a technology strategy uh, practice for PropTechs, um, you know, basically opined by saying, look, you know, like real estate decisions used to be this like 10 to 15 year decision where we got to like, you know, sign a 10 year lease and move our headquarters. And now it's like this like annual type of review of your portfolio and how does this working for our business? Um, and I know this is a long answer to a short question, but I guess my point is if you're a broker and you want to be able to solve problems for that type of decision, you got to be much more nimble. It's not about just like getting a deal done. All right. Last three here, Matt. These are so our listeners get to know you just a little bit better. First one, what are you reading? Uh, I read a, I read a lot of like history. Um, I spend a lot of time in the tech world. So I'm not, not one of these guys that like is reading the next, uh, you know, how, how to build a startup book, uh, try, trying to learn that as I go. Literally a high um, growth handbook. Next yeah, I, look, like I, I'll take all of that content, but, uh, it's not necessarily what I sit down and read before the end of the night. Um, uh, I'm reading a book, uh, about the building of the Brooklyn bridge right now, which is hey fascinating. Al. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. What's the? I paused for a little the, while. Remember the title of it? It's called "The Great Bridge" by John McCullough. It's John McCullough is one of the you know foremost history writers. He's written 1776, the John Adams series, the Teddy Roosevelt uh, biography series. That's the type of stuff I like to read because very cool. You were going someplace, but you don't know where you're going until you understand where 
people got you here. So I think that's pretty cool. I can dig it. Question number two, who are you learning from? You know, I learn a lot from the people I work with. Um, Andrew, my co-founder, he's an absolute beast. I learn from him a lot every day. Uh, ben, Eric, all the guys that we started the company with that have points of view on things that I might have blind spots with, I learn from. And there's also just an immense amount of learning that you get from everybody on your team because at company of our stage, you're just, you're all kind of like building towards something. And when there's an input, you got to figure out like, how did it work? And it could be anybody in the company that has a point of view on something that is just like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I think like, you know, the startup world likes to deify founders as like these people who go out there and know everything and solve every problem. But you don't do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sitting in my office at nine o'clock on Eastern on a podcast. So like, you know, like somebody else is doing something that's uh, more impactful for the company. But, um, you know, I think everybody that everybody that we work, we work with is just like a fountain of knowledge to me. Last one here. What inspires you? This might sound a little cheesy, but uh, I think my children is, inspire me uh, because, you know, life life can get pretty intense when you're an adult. And, uh, you know, you go to work every day, you're trying to execute on things. Um, you've obviously, I'm married, I have a relationship with my wife. She's amazing. And you got to focus on that. But then you look at your kids and you're like, man, there's just like so much potential in their life. And how, how do you make sure that that potential is like constantly being uh, increased in them. And so like when I see kids that are not worrying about the day-to-day -day things that adults are and just focused on the moment, I think that inspires me. Uh, I don't know why you just said something that like reminded me of this meme that's going around. It's kind of like a soundbite meme. And it's like, there's something like, have you ever thought about how just unsupervised, like no one is watching me and I'm in charge of myself. As an adult, it's kind of a weird thing to think about because I just don't see myself there yet. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm thinking of myself as a well. Kid you got to keep some of that though. <laughs> you got to you got to you hang on to that as long as you can because you know, like when, <laughs> when life gets serious, it's like yeah, no one is in charge of me. I'm just unsupervised all day. <laughs> yeah, all all day long. Like no one's telling me what to do. Like it's weird, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, it's weird. yeah, life is amazing. <laughs> Matt, this has been a lot of fun. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you for sticking it out late at the office to uh, do this interview. Uh, before we close out, for those who want to hear more about your podcast, but also who want to hear more or find out more about Occupy or Connect to You, where do they go? How to do all the things? Yeah, all the things. So we, uh, we have a podcast called The Fully Occupied Show. You can find it on whatever listening platform you use. Uh, it's produced by the amazing Amanda Lee and, uh, she helps generate awesome content on that. So check it out. Um, you can find our company at occupier.com. Check it out. You can pretty much learn anything you need to know about what we do by browsing the website. And you can find me at Matt Chifun on Twitter. That's G I F F U N E. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and, uh, we are circling the globe 
on the conference uh, circuit. So like we're going to be at ICSE, ICSE in Boston here in uh, late July, and then we'll be elsewhere all around the country. So check us out. Very cool. All right, man. Well, I'll be looking for you. Well, I don't know the next conference I'm going to, but it sounds like you'll be there. So I'll see you at the next conference. <laughs> yeah, Nate, thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. This has been great. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.